On New Tricks this week, we're joined by Sarah Green, Director at Hotel Finance, to discuss the loyalty of lenders, the cost of refinancing, and blessings sent from challenger banks. We also ponder the type of biscuit one might enjoy with a cosmopolitan. Biscuits and cocktails, you're welcome. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. And joy of joys, we've just worked out this is episode 40, 40 glorious weeks of podcasting delights for your listening ears. Thank you so much to everybody who continues to enjoy them and share positive feedback. Uh, Today, we are joined by Sarah Green, who's the director at Hotel Finance. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to New Tricks. How are you? Emily, Catherine, hello. Thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute delight to um, be part of your 40th podcast. Thank you. Oh, well, it's nice to see you. Um, and, how, and in a bid to keep Anglo-French relations very jolly, look, you've got your Breton. No, you, people can't see this because it's a podcast for obvious reasons, but you are you are wearing your Breton top. We are, we are France, we are England, we are united in ways that other parts of France and England are. I have not banned you from this meeting. <laughs> we and are very, very well. I've had it on my own or with some people from Belgium, but I've chosen not to ban you from this meeting on this occasion. And we're enormously grateful for that. Well, I cannot look after your immigrants forever. So <laughs> just bear that in mind. We will. We will. Many thanks. How how goes how goes how goes life in, in France? In France today, life is well. Uh, we uh, already had our, our pre-Omicron, yes, I keep wanting to put an N in there and call it Omicron. Yeah, I know, that would be better. Like it might have claws or something. But the Greeks wouldn't like it, so that's fine. Um, so uh, we pre-Omicron since we last spoke and we are now all having our boosters from 18 and something else. I forget what else. We haven't stopped wearing masks because they're so cool. Um, and in the cold weather, they're very good as well. I've been keeping my mask on in the street because it's nice. It's nice. Um, they just steam the face up a little bit, lots of spots on your chin. Um, but then that aside, it's been fine. Um, so, yes, we obviously we're not allowing people in from any African countries. Um, so that would be ridiculous. And that's with immediate effect, is it? Or is that sometime next week at 4 a.m.? <laughs> as far as I know, that's already a thing. And um, but we don't they don't tend to do quarantining here, so it will be a testing regime. There's a, something about the laws. Um, you can't lock people up unless like they murdered someone. So, right. <laughs> so, we, right. so apart from locking everyone up for the first lockdown, there's been we don't have a quarantine so much, it's more of a testing regime that they have over here. Mm, naughty. Is free and easily available. So that's fine. We'll see how that goes. Um, but there was some rumour about curfews. That didn't happen. Um, but this was pre-Omicron. Uh, so we'll probably have a curfew. People do. Uh, in the Netherlands at the moment, they've got a curfew, haven't they? Um, Austria, the Italians talking about it. Um, so curfew is very effective uh, because people don't get drunk and then like lick each other, which I believe is the entire science behind the curfew. So during the day, less likely to lick people. In the evening, after some few beers, more likely to lick people. So beer in bed by eight. And as, as you have pointed out, we are entering the season of hot booze. So that is and hot booze equals festivities, merriment, general closeness. Licking. Licking. Mm. Mm. I'm, um, I'm, it's, it's worth noting the, the progress of the pandemic or sort of charting the, uh, the flow of it because we're now into winter, therefore winter coats have come out. And as I reach into my pockets, oh. there are masks oh, in masks. there. That's so there convenient. are masks. That's so it is. 
Yes. I wonder how many winters this will this will go on. How many times the coats will flip round from summer jackets? I think winter. that's a, a reasonably depressing thought for a Monday morning. Although not the first time I've had it this Monday morning. So, <laughs> a, a friend of mine here in Paris was telling me that she is thinking of moving back to the UK um, because her, she works in France and her her husband works in London, and it's very difficult with the restrictions to keep going to and fro all the time. And she's thinking, you know what? Nuts to it. Mm. I said, why? How long do you think this pandemic is going to go on? And she said, a while. Enough to consider relocating. Consider relocating, yes. Right. So I thought, good. So there we are. So anyone who's still listening now, <laughs> let's think of other things, cheerier things. Well, I can think of something very cheery. Um, Sarah Green, Hotel Finance, has already celebrated its first birthday. So many congratulations to you. Thank you so much. I can't believe we've been doing it for a year. It seems such a daunting thing to start, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. And here we are a year later celebrating one year. And I know that you are not far off that too. So congratulations, New Dog PR. Many thanks. (laughs) And how has your first year been? Because as you've pointed out, notwithstanding a pandemic, launching a new business, how's it going? It's going very well. Um, I think it's fair to say there's not that many transactions happening, and that's that's the challenge. Um, the transactions that are happening, a lot of the time are funded by equity. Um, so our requirements to source senior and junior debt, which is pretty much what, what we do, um, has been probably less than we had expected. But I think, to be fair, everyone expected more transactions and more assets coming to market and and more deals happening. So it's just symptomatic of of where we are. But we've had um, some wonderful support. Um, You know, the hotel sector is such a wonderful place to operate in. And um, we've just gone from strength to strength. So we're absolutely delighted. Brilliant news. Congratulations. Indeed, very much so. Um, do you anticipate any more refinancings coming along? And how how sort of how easy is it to get debt at the moment? Because we saw some kind of we're back in the early days of the pandemic when everyone was like freaking out about, about how much money they needed and Marriott and Hilson was scraping it in from their uh, loyalty programs and NACL was raising billions and everyone was like, quick, 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 stop our money. There are a few people who did some refinancings and they were not on the cheeriest terms, I seem to recall, likely to cause future issues. What are you seeing out there? So I think, um, you know, liquidity is there and you absolutely can refinance, but it isn't cheap. And I think um, if you are prepared to pay the higher margins that are now a factor of loans, then you're able to get refinanced or money to do a new develop, development or do your CapEx budget. Um, but you probably will get less than you wanted and you'll be paying more for it. And it's much, much harder to get it, <laughs> which makes people like us more useful. So, you know, that, that's the positive thing. I think, um, you know, if, if I were to sort of give you an overview of the market, um, the high street banks have been very loyal to their existing hotel clients. And that's one of the reasons why there's been so few transactions, because um, it's not been about distress. It's been about you know, some stress in the market. And, and the banks have done a great job of um, kicking the can down the road, really, not testing covenants, not particularly um, loan-to-value covenants, debt service covenants, all of those have just been parked and they've 
they've used their time and resource to support existing customers. And, and that's been a great thing. And they've been able to do that because debt has been sensibly structured. You know, we learned from the global financial crisis that leverage was key and not to burden hotels with too much debt. And so things have been far more sensible this time around and, and banks have been very supportive. But what they've done is focus on their existing clients. So anyone new to bank or anyone wanting to do a new transaction, it's been very hard to get funding out of the high street banks for that. But then what's happened is we've, we've been blessed with a number of challenger banks in the sector who have used this opportunity to grow their lending book. And so, um, you know, the five or six banks that have operated in the sector have been really busy and have done some great deals. Again, you know, perhaps not at the rates you would want and certainly higher than high street banks, but that money's been there and, and that's been fantastic. And then, of course, you know, the alternate lenders are out there with huge swathes of cash to deploy and, and very keen to do it, but they want big ticket items and they're not cheap either. So rather bizarrely at the moment, if you came to me looking for 100 million, I could probably source that for you easier than 10 million, which is the oh, real bizarreness of the situation. <laughs> Former Lord Lick you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Interesting. And um, where where are the um where are the banks sitting or the lenders generally sitting uh in terms of uh brands? Because this this happened, you know, way back when if you if you went to a lender with a brand that was a sort of more appealing proposition um, than without. Is that still the case? Um, but sort of question part one of the question. And does that it, are we seeing any kind of lending for development? Is the sort of second part of that question? And again, or is that just being sort of put on the shelf for now? Um, and I suppose if that is the case, does the brand still help with that? So that's sort of twelve questions in one. I do apologise. You may have to remind me in the course of my answer. I'm getting old. I forget things now. <laughs> um, so banks love brands because they understand the system and they understand um, all of the drivers that, that make that successful. So by and large, you know, most of the transactions that happen are limited service, mid-market branded hotels. And they're almost formulaic because you know how they work. You're not having to deal with sort of um, trickier revenue lines like, you know, the MICE um, revenue stream, big substantial F&B. So if you have a limited service hotel and it's got a brand behind it, banks love that kind of deal. Now, I was a banker for 15 years and all of that time I funded one unbranded hotel. Everything else was branded. So credit policy is very much geared towards a brand because it provides all sorts of sort of mitigation. So you know if a, if a brand is involved that the hotel is going to be delivered to that brand standard because the brand won't let it open unless you've ticked all of those boxes. And that gives a great degree of comfort, um, you know, to, to a bank because they know, for example, if you're going to deliver a hotel indigo for IHG, at the end of this process, the brand will make sure that that's what you've got. Um, if you are building an independent hotel, um, a lot can be lost in translation. So an independent hotelier's view of an upscale hotel can be quite different to what 
the bank gets at the end. So you really have to have a very proven track record um, to, to get funding at the levels you want for an independent hotel. Um, so moving, I suppose, on to development finance, Absolutely, you can get development finance. And I would argue that now is a great time to be building. You know, build through the downturn and open a hotel um, with coronavirus firmly in the rearview mirror. Um, in saying that, hard to get. Um, you really have to present something that ticks all of the boxes. So a great location, a strong brand, you know, preferably mid-market limited service as opposed to, you know, upper upscale luxury, which... It's tricky right now. Um, so, so you can get it. Um, I have, in fact, just agreed a development finance deal for a borrower with a challenger bank. Um, it's been a long process, but we've got there in the end. Um, more expensive, perhaps, than you know you you would have paid. Right now, you can be you can expect to be paying anything between five and six and a half percent margin on a development finance deal. Whereas pre-coronavirus from a high street bank, you know, at most you'd be topping three and a half percent margin. So it does make the development economics questionable. And when you factor in, you know, the cost, the sort of construction inflation cost plus more money, um, you have to be very sure that these deals stack up. Um, that, that's the key thing in them. How appealing are the alternatives on the other side that have been successful during the the pandemic? I just got to hold there for a second. <laughs> you know, like you're it's been such a long time. <laughs> your, like your your extended stays and bizarrely hostels and and all that sort of thing. Are they more appealing now to lenders, or have they have they proven themselves? So extended stay has been fantastic during this period. Um, proven themselves far more resilient. And I think if you speak to any of the extended stay operators, they've had a far better pandemic experience than, you know, your, your straightforward hotel. So I think big tick in the box for extended stay. Um, I don't have much to do with the hostel market, to be honest. Um, but just, you know, at, at, at a best guess, I would think not so much because Extended stay is so popular because people have been able to go in there and sort of isolate themselves. You know, they've, they've got their kitchen, they, they've got their amenities. Um, whereas in a hostel, you know, in a, in a dormitory situation and sort of the level of co-mingling that, that is the nature of hostels, my sense, and I, I honestly don't know this, but my sense is that they probably would not have proven as successful. Co-mingling is such a horrible phrase. It really is. I could tell by the face that you called that that was on just hearing it. <laughs> Your face suggested that wasn't something you wanted to do anytime now. <laughs> Co-mingle. Um, Sarah, this is fascinating. Really interesting. Booster anyway. <laughs> well, exactly. Booster, a booster it all up. Um, Sarah, this is fascinating. Thank you. Um, I will try to ask just one question in the next, the next, with the next words that I say. Um, you mentioned brands being a, a, a reasonable way to get a good ticket to get some cash. We was talking to some uh, asset managers. I believe they are the um, they're the largest independent asset managers in Europe land last week, 
Um, and they mentioned um, that it was increasingly being murmured uh, that banks are quite keen, as they were with brands, um, to wedge in some asset management as part of uh, a lending agreement. Is that is that something you're seeing? Um, and if not, do you think it's a good idea? Interesting question, actually. Um, when I was a banker, you know, asset management was sometimes part of the equation. And it it really depended on the style of the hotel and who who was behind it. You know, oftentimes when, when you're a banker, you like to lend to hotel owner operators who know the hotel business and and are all over the operation of their hotel. But equally, there, there are lots of investors out there who are a bit more arm's length um, and, and don't get in, as involved in, in the day-to-day running of the hotels. And so they don't necessarily always have the knowledge to, to really be challenging the operator of their hotel. And particularly if it's a big beast of a hotel, you know, if it's a, 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 a hotel that has big conference and event facilities and numerous restaurants, you have to make sure that, you know, you are earning out of every square meter of that hotel. And then an asset manager is, is is a great addition to the kind of diligence around the hotel and making sure it performs the way it should be. Because if you don't have the knowledge to um, challenge your operator to make sure they are properly delivering for you, that your brand is properly delivering for you, it's great to have that additional um, set of eyes doing that for you. So I don't think it's, it will be a requirement for all deals, but I think in certain instances, it's a very valuable addition to, you know, really driving performance out of the asset. Mm, interesting. Um, may we ever so lightly touch on ESG? Um, because we can't move for icebergs and uh, conferences and all that kind of stuff. Where where does it sit in the uh, sort of value um, stack of lenders? Is it is it a real thing or is it a bit of virtue signalling? Does it impact decision making? What do you think? What are you seeing? Yeah, so I I think um, so you know I I spent five years working for a big global brand as a developer and. People really like the idea of ESG. This is the owners who were, you know, looking to build a hotel, and they'd start off with with great intentions. But sadly, it becomes more expensive to implement um, the kind of kit that's needed to to tick all of your boxes. And so, as sort of costs increase, the um, perhaps excitement for it would wane. <laughs> so people started off really wanting to be very ESG focused, and then cost consideration comes in it, and it becomes a bit of a compromise. I think the brands are doing a great job of of, of trying to get their owners to to be ESG focused, but of course, it's not their money, it's not their hotel; they're just the brand, and and so it's a delicate balance. But I think certainly over the last twelve months, I've seen a real change, and we are starting to see. Uh, green loans being made available by some of the banks where they differentiate um, for product that meets all of their ESG requirements. I think as we move forward, um, institutions are not going to be able to invest in hotels um, that don't tick all of the ESG boxes. So from being something that was on a bit of a wish list, 
it's certainly taking on a lot more credibility. People are taking it a lot more seriously. Funders are looking to reward um, those borrowers that have delivered a hotel that that meets all of the, the requirements. And I think increasingly over time, certainly investors are going to be choosing that those types of hotels that have been delivered to those standards. So I think what started off perhaps as something that, that was perhaps a bit faddish is now very serious and you know um, is very much a factor in, in funding, in developing and, and in acquisition. So it, it is um, a growing part of the decision-making process. Interesting. You have a great um, vantage point between, uh, I guess, the the the, the lenders uh, and the operators. Have you seen over the last, uh, as Catherine said, we can't remember what it's called, let alone how long it's been, but over the last period of time, have you seen um, a greater alignment between those two? Are they are they you know in it? Are we all in it together now, helping each other out. Has and if that has happened, do you think that's set to stay? I think you know, with with operators and owners and brands, alignment is always key. Um, you know, ultimately, I think the wonderful thing about this sector is that, by and large, people want want a hotel to succeed. They want the brand to succeed, and so you start off in a position where you're all going into this um, with a, a, a fresh sheets of paper, um, wanting wanting the hotel to, to trade in a way that, that meets everyone's requirements. And then I think over time, little itches appear and, and there can be a few challenges. I think, I think the brands have been perhaps a bit unequal. Some have done more than others to, to support their owners. And ultimately, you're in this relationship for you know, a 20-year period. If you're a franchise customer, it's at least 20 years. If you operate it under a management agreement, it can be at least 30 or 35 years. So it's very important that those those relationships work because ultimately, you know, particularly from from the brands, um, <laughs> you have to keep your you have to make your owners money. If you don't make your owners money, they're not going to sign a new brand or do anything else with you. So I think there's always a desire for interests to be aligned, but I think ultimately. You know, brands are governed by shareholders, and that's sometimes where the mismatch comes. So um, they are there to make money ultimately for their shareholders, as obviously, of course, for their owners, and they want to keep their owners happy. But um, I think if you were to ask the average hotelier, they would they would say enough hasn't been done. That's probably the, the general view. <laughs> I think you might be right. Um, I just wanted, as you were talking about um, brands and uh, how very much lenders enjoy brands, I, I wondered whether um, the sort of the slew of soft brands that we've seen, the conversion brands that we've seen launched uh, during the pandemic, do they have the same, do they tick the same boxes for lenders as a, a brand, you know, a brand that you can see and smell and touch on the high street? Yes, they do, because ultimately, from a from a lender's perspective, um, it's it's the overarching hotel company that you're buying into, and you know, as we all know, some of them can have up more than thirty brands, but it's the same uh, minimum. That's the <laughs> minimum requirement. Can go the, the 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 sky's the limit, but minimum of thirty. Absolutely, and I'm sure a few more will be coming out next year. 
Um, but but really, it, it's that big name brand, it's that global brand, all of the distribution channels that feed into it. It's their loyalty club. Loyalty clubs are, are huge with, with the big global brands and, and how they drive consumer behavior. So I think I think not all brands are equal. Um, banks buy into that engine that drives rate and occupancy and drives profitability. Um, if it is a completely new brand that's new to the you know new to the UK, for example, then you have to work a little bit harder explaining it. Um, but I, I think bankers are happy if you can tick that brand box. Good to know. Um, we've we've chanted along, and I have I have completely uh, it's escaped my escaped my mind to ask you about biscuits, which we must do, given that this is the sort of this is the the founding pillar of our entire podcast. So when you were celebrating uh, your first year of Hotel Finance Fun, um, did you do so with biscuits? And if so, what were they and why? Well, I have to tell you, I was starting to panic because you see other people probably listened to previous podcasts and did lots of prep for this and I ate biscuits. (laughs) So I had put on at least three pounds eating biscuits so I could knowledgeably talk about biscuits and then there was not a biscuit question. So it's getting (laughs) panicky. Um, but yes, I love biscuits. My absolute favorite biscuit is stem ginger covered in dark chocolate. Ooh, Ooh classy. That mm. is a good one. I don't think we've had that yet. No. Really? Oh, that's no, good no, to know. No, no. People are in my biscuit with, you know, choice. Hot dogs and things like that. <laughs> and a very firm yes. second favorite are those little biscoffy biscuits that you get with coffee in posh restaurants. I just have the coffee for the biscuit, really. <laughs> You can now, I believe, in maybe Waitrose, get um, that flavoured ice cream. Really? Um, wow. Oh, which is an in- yes, 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 yes. Which is an entire separate podcast episode in itself. Definitely. Well, I'm very happy we touched on biscuits because that was very detailed um, research that I did for at least it's a good. few weeks. It's good yeah. that you've been willing to do that. Your dedication is much appreciated. Mm. dedication to the cause thank you thank you um we're we're trotting we are trotting through this happy chat um and that's what happens when you have a happy chat um before we ask you the um same questions that we ask all our guests at the end of the episode Catherine do you have any further thoughts questions would you like to ask Sarah 12 questions in one like I've so eloquently done I usually do um but but you did it so well I uh I think what would be most interesting to hear you don't need to go into to huge details I'm still thinking about stem ginger um is Will, we've seen a lot of evidence, and certainly in the past few months where there's been lots of pandemic weariness, um, people wish everything would just go back to the way that it was. Um, if everything would just go back to the way that it was, that'd be great. And if you're willing to go somewhere and say, it's okay, everything's gone back to the way it was, people are very happy to hear that. Um, do you think we're going to see any changes in the hotel sector as a result of this, or is it the wrong type of shock? Um, I think people... <sighs> People have had to operate their hotels in a far leaner fashion than they used to. And I think once um, once those changes have been made, finance directors like them to stay. <laughs> so I think we may see some changes that have come about as a result of, of the pandemic um, that will be here for the longer term. But I do think, you know, by and large, we have short memories and once, you know, and let's hope that 
that this is all, you know, passes into the background pretty quickly. Once we're over it, um, I think things will return back to normal. But I'm hoping that some of the sort of cleanliness, um, the new the new way we operate. You know, I'm always going to wear a mask now on the tube. I've always wanted to. Now I have an excuse to. And I think some of the um, you know the, the sort of regimes that have been put in place with hotels, um, I, I think, will stay. I think I think people are are more aware of them and will expect them now as as a matter of course moving forward. So um, I, I hope we you know it's been a been quite the experience to live through and there's been good and bad through it but i i think some of the takeaways have been quite positive and and, and i hope they stay but possibly a threat to a fancier biscuit mm. possibly but just so long as it's properly wrapped we're fine <laughs> and speaking of properly wrapped if we could get rid of uh, i don't i don't care how but just get rid of tv remote controls in hotels because ugh, generally <laughs> yeah Exactly. I mean, I still wipe mine down. I take my little yes. alcohol wipe and wipe it down because I don't always trust that it's been done with the care and attention I would like. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Very wise. Very wise. Um, okay, Sarah, are you ready for some little questions as we ask all our guests? And we will be enthralled to hear your responses. Okie dokes. Um, question one. When the shutters came up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did was... So I know you want me to say I had biscuits with family. <laughs> you do get 12 bonus points. Biscuits. <laughs> but the reality is I so missed a cocktail, a handcrafted cocktail in a beautiful hotel bar. So that was the first thing I did, go for cocktails. <laughs> Good. Tremendous. And which cocktail did you have? Well, it's always a cosmopolitan. Quite right too. Yes. The simplest, but not always well made. So a good Cosmo, fabulous. That is the taste of pandemic freedom. Indeed. The best thing about the hotel sector is? Oh, you know, I think it's the people um, and the product. You know, um, there's such a lovely, delightful feeling. I get a little bubble of happiness when I go into a beautiful hotel. And I think we're so privileged to have so many really wonderful hotels in London. And even, you know, a hotel doesn't necessarily have to be upper upscale and luxury. Um, it, it's, it's lovely to be part of that sector. And I think by and large, people who own hotels, who um, operate in hotels, love their product. And, and there's a real sense of pride and ownership and, and delight in them. And I, I think if you were to look at, you know, the asset classes across real estate, the people who operate in the hotel space um, just have a genuine innate hospitality in them. Um, not always talking about the big institutions where, you know, it's it's very commercial, but hotel owner operators and, and people in the sector is, is the big win for me. Very well said. The hotel sector could be significantly improved if? Yeah, so I, I'm sure, and I haven't listened to all of your podcasts, but, you know, the thing we always come back to in hotels is, what a great career it is and how we attract the right talent and how we retain that talent and how, you know, it, it, it should 
people aren't encouraged to go into the hotel space. You know, if you're making your career choices, you tick a box if you, you know, want to be a professional, but going into the hotel space doesn't necessarily generate that same enthusiasm. And it should do, you know, it's an incredible place to, to grow your career. And certainly when I worked for one of the big brands, you know, there was a, a lady who ran, you know, a large part of the company for EMEA, who had basically started as a waitress in a London hotel and had worked her way up. So I think, um, you know, we're not good as a sector at generating excitement for coming into it. We're not necessarily good at, um, you know, training and, and helping our youngsters grow. But it is a great sector. And, you know, if you take a big London hotel, you know, they can be turning over, you know, 100 million pounds as a turnover. That is a sizable business. If you're a GM for that hotel, you are actually operating a very substantial business. And it's an incredible job. Um, I just think, you know, our, our people are everything. A, a brand can only do so much. You know, you can, you can check into the best hotel there is. But if your frontline staff aren't hospitable and don't really look after you, it tarnishes everything, your, your whole sort of stay. Um, so I think it's vital that um, you know, people who work in the sector are well rewarded, well trained and understand that there's a real future for them should they, should they choose to remain in it. Spot on. And you're right. That is something of a, to say the least, a reoccurring theme that crops up when we ask people that question. Very (laughs) much so. I thought so. (laughs) Um, What the industry needs now is? Coronavirus to disappear. That's what we need. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, So I think, I think realistically, you know, our sector generates so much income. It employs so many people. Um, and it really is having the hardest of times. And of course, this new variant raises yet more concern for hoteliers and, and you know, people in, in the hospitality sector. So I think, um, I think ongoing government support is, is key. You know, they have been very supportive with, you know, reduction in VAT, reduction in rates, the various government loan schemes that were out there. Um, and I think... I think that's key to help help hoteliers through this patch. Quite right too. Um, and finally, I'd like to think we've learned from this. Right. Um, I think how resilient our sector is. So I have been amazed at, at hoteliers and what they have done to um, remain open and keep the money coming in. So if you think about um, the, the creativity and that, that's, that's been out there, you know, quarantine hotels, um, opening, hos- opening hotels to support, you know, NHS workers, people have, they haven't just shut up shop and sort of waited for it all to pass. So I think the resilience of the sector has been incredible. Um, I think rather interestingly, you know, some, some hotels who are operating under as a quarantine hotel are actually more profitable than they would have been trading normally because you don't have all of the expenses that you normally do. And and, and so your conversion to, to bottom line is so much stronger whilst your revenue may not be where it needs to be. That conversion percentage is, is high. 
So I, I think we've proven resilient. Um, the minute the doors were open, people started staying in hotels again. They started eating in, in restaurants and drinking in bars. Um, I've been amazed at, you know, the conference and event market that has come back far quicker than everyone expected it to. You know, the talk was, well, you wouldn't see that back properly until 2024. But just anecdotally, hoteliers I'm speaking to say that, you know, there is a really high level of demand and, and, and you know, that space has been utilised again. I think the way hotels have, you know, um, gone to co-working, you know, converted some of their conference and event space to co-working. So it's, you know, we've been creative, we've been adaptable, we've been resilient. And, and I think it, it, it's a great testament to the sector. Here, here. Marvellous. Sarah, that was just beyond joy. What a lovely way to spend a morning. Um, thank you so much for your insight. It was it was genuinely very interesting to uh yeah, to 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 hear um what you're what you're seeing, what you're learning. Um many, many congratulations on a hugely successful first year. And let that be the first of many and more success to you um as we as you go forward. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you yes. so much for having me. It's been a great half hour. I'm, I'm going to go and eat some biscuits now. <laughs> yes, I would. I thought you were going to go and say I'm going to have a Cosmo, but which you should, quite frankly, because yeah. it's, you know, it's Monday and we've all got to get through the day somehow. Yeah, Emily, thank you. Do you, dip, do you dip into that, though? Mm, not sure that would work, into a Cosmo. Know, I, can, I can enjoy them. I feel we should try it. I think for so. the, In the pursuit it's of research. Research, science. Wow. We must follow the science. Absolutely. Sounds great. Um, Catherine, lovely to see you. And I think I think we can we can universally agree that France and the UK are are united in in this cause. Exactly. One of the oldest relationships. Yeah. Long may it continue. Um, We're prepared to do that via this podcast. Yes, we are. I'm not afraid we do. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to do that. Right. Thank you to you both. Have a lovely rest of your week. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And do join us again next time. Cheerio. Bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.